0: stick to football we are breaking the nfl down baby looking at the week that was also Fixing the Cincinnati Bengals. Yes, it is draft season for a couple teams. We're going to start looking at the roster moves everyone needs to make. And our good friend Jim Nagy comes back on the show to talk about the 2020 Reese's Senior Bowl. Connor's with me in a killer shirt, which you can see if you check us out on Bleach Report's YouTube page. Just look for the Stick to Football playlist. Connor, welcome in, buddy. That's right,
1: man. Good to see you. I know it hasn't been too long as we had an awesome week down in Dallas at the Red River Rivalry, Have to be careful what you call it these days. And, right. man, eyes ahead. I, I, we're going to get to the London event in a second. But our Alabama LSU tailgate on November 9th at the quad officially. Matt, that might be the game of the year
0: if things play out I, right. It might be. It is the game of the year, I think. I think we're going to see one versus two. I'm very excited for this game. We actually, like you said, we nailed down the details uh, over the weekend. So we will be out there. The game has time has not been officially announced by the SEC. We uh, have been told to expect a 2.30 kick. So we'll be out there at 7 a.m. bright Ooh, and early. Love it. Like Connor said, on the quad. We're tailgate spot number 133. We'll have a big white tent. You'll see the stick to football guys in there. Uh, a lot of beer, a lot of food. So come check it out. Again, these tailgates are free. Just stop by, start hanging out with us. We'll be giving away koozies, stickers, like we always do. So look for a, an exact time. But for now, you can go ahead and plan on being uh, on the quad as early as they will let us be, probably at 7 a.m. Uh, Saturday morning, November 9th. All right, let's get into the news. Uh, Zach Brown, uh, not the former country singer, the former linebacker for the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, Before the Eagles played the Vikings, he said, Kirk Cousins sucks, which I would have agreed with until week five. (laughs) Uh, But week five, Cousins and Thielen hooked back up. And then last week, Stephon Diggs and Cousins hooked back up. The Vikings have been an unstoppable offensive juggernaut since really getting called onto the carpet by everyone in the world. Well, Zach Brown ran his mouth after the game. He was like, I don't want to talk about it. Well, now he is a former member of the Eagles. Howie Roseman cut Zach Brown on Monday, which uh, I don't know how much of it's tied to his play, how much of it's tied to his comments, but he's gone. I
1: mean, God, what an awful weekend. That's how you have a, a bad one if you're anyone in any profession is when you talk your shit and then you lose your job. Somewhere, Kirk Cousins is smiling. Now, I will say this. I think Zach Brown will be picked up pretty quickly in this league. I don't think he'll be on the market very long. And to me, Matt, it's probably a situation where it was a mix of both. He probably wasn't playing at a Pro Bowl level, and it probably didn't help that he created uh, somewhat of a distraction that makes the team look foolish in the end. And the Eagles with a pretty harsh reaction. But guess what? Uh, The NFL is not friendly to people very often.
0: No, it's really not. It is definitely a what-have-you-done-for-me league. And Zach Brown, all he did was put a spotlight on his team that then got blew up. The Eagles reeling a little bit, which a lot of the NFL is, but one team that's not, your team, the New York Jets. We were in Dallas over the weekend, and so many Cowboys fans were giving you hell because, oh, the Jets are going to get steamrolled by the Cowboys. Not so fast. And really not so fast on a lot of things. Not so fast on Jason Garrett's job being safe. Not so fast on Kellen Moore being this offensive genius who's going to be a future head coach, I am here to officially try to get Lincoln Riley to be the next head coach of the Dallas Cowboys because my Texas Longhorns can't beat him. So if Lincoln could go to Dallas, that would make me very, happy. I'm with very you happy. all the
1: way, and to be fair on this show, the Cowboys were without both starting tackles. Amari Cooper got hurt in the first quarter, but... Everybody has injuries in the NFL, guys. I mean, the Jets have been without their uh, probably best defensive player in C.J. Mosley. They're starting tight end Chris Herndon. These things happen. They lost Quincy and Newell already. So people get banged up in the NFL. And the Jets went out and won the game really on the back of Sam Darnold. And credit to Adam Gase, who I've been critical of and think everybody in the world has been critical of. Called a good game. Was aggressive. Uh, didn't ease Sam Darnold back in, who would have never wanted that in the first place. They threw the ball down the field. They went for points before the half and got six. They went for the kill shot at the end that got them in field goal range that ultimately won them the game as they won by two points. And Greg Williams kept his foot on the gas and kept blitzing because he knows his corners can't cover anyone. But more importantly in this situation, to the Cowboys end of things, a team that was picked by many as a Super Bowl contender, started out the year very hot, good play calling by Kellen Moore, a really good start by Dak Prescott. The ground game was moving. The defense looks good. They were healthy. You're right, Matt. They need more from the head coach. They did not get off the bus at MetLife ready to play. They did not yep. get pressure on a quarterback that was just back from a, an illness for a long time. The Jets were without pieces on the offensive line. Shuma Adoga was making his second start and had to you know really play, start at right tackle. Brandon Shell came in because Calvin Beecham got hurt. So the Jets were with two backup offensive tackles, no Kalechios, Emily. And the Cowboys really didn't do a great job of getting after the quarterback. So there's a lot of problems across the board for what I think
0: is a very talented football team. No, it, it is. And I was I was actually happy for Adam Gase. I mean, people who have yeah. listened to the show since the summer will remember. I actually liked that hire because of Sam Darnold. I, I said I thought Darnold and Gase were a really good fit together. That Gase would know how to use Sam, that Sam fit really well in his offense. So for one week to see that happen does look good Uh, also to see Robbie Anderson get incorporated that is huge I also thought that really this week Greg Williams had his best game as a defensive coordinator with the New York Jets the the timing of the blitz calls with Jamal Adams were were very very good down the stretch uh, Marcus May and Brian Poole both played really well in the secondary so for the Jets for a week everything was perfect and I think if you're Dallas you know a lot's going to be made of the fact that like no one wants to slap hands with Jason Garrett after they score. There is something to that. I, I really believe that. I think you can look at Atlanta. I think you can look at Pittsburgh. I think you can look at, at Dallas right now as teams where the message is maybe stale. We always stale, say and we could see. Yeah, we could see a refresh really at the head coach position. Not that those teams lack talent. It's just you. You almost need new leadership. You need a new voice in the building to get things done. My team, however. Oh my lord, one of my teams. We'll <laughs> sure. say it that way. One of my teams. Um when we picked uh preseason uh win losses playoffs, I thought I was a little too high on the 49ers. I, I had them at too. eight and eight. It's like, yeah, if, if we stay healthy, I, I mean, eight and eight could be good. You know, there's some young guys are good players, but you gotta stay healthy. Well they haven't stayed healthy. And they're still good. They are undefeated, the only undefeated team in the NFC again. And they are doing it because that defense, I think it is the most fun defense to watch in the NFL right now with how attacking they are. Nick Bosa is able to do so many things on the edge. And in large part, thanks to what happens with DeForest Buckner drawing attention in the middle, Eric Armstead is finally living up to his potential. D Ford is flashing. The Niners are just fast defensively, and they are very aggressive. It makes them a blast to watch. I like watching the Patriots defense, too. I think Stephon Gilmore is the best corner in football right now. But the Niners, they're getting it done. One thing that I I like about this team, they're doing it differently every week. Like, they can outscore you, or they can shut you down. They'll rush for 300 yards, or it's a game where Kyle Shanahan, after the the game, will let his defensive coordinator do the press conference, because he's been that impressive uh, calling the defense. So I I think... Are the Niners for real? Yeah, I definitely think they are. But also, it's encouraging that they're showing they can win in a couple of Yeah, I picked them ways. to win
1: six games, and they've won five out of five so far. So, uh, things are looking good for the Niners right now. And I think, Matt, you know things are going well when Solomon Thomas is getting in on the action. I mean, Solomon Thomas with the big sack right? in this game. Like you said, whether it's Nick Bosa, that front seven is, giving, is really doing a lot of favors for this secondary. Richard Sherman is just still playing at a high level. Uh, I know he's been banged up as he gets older, but still Richard Sherman is still playing at a high level for this team. But across the board, I like what you said about them doing things differently, whether it's, you know, Mike McDaniel, Kyle Shanahan, scheming up the run game when they have to, making life easier on Jimmy G, George Kittle being one of maybe the best tight end in the NFL. Honestly, I would have that conversation right now that George Kittle is the best tight end in the NFL. I agree. That yeah. win in different ways often go far in the postseason. New England is the master of doing this. They are ready on all three phases of the football game, whether it's special teams, defense, or offense. Because if one or two areas are lacking, the other can pick those two up. And I think we're seeing that with San Francisco right now. And that's a great point by D. Ford. Uh, I think D. Ford has, you know, been a inconsistent player at times. And he was phenomenal in this game and has been pretty good for pennies on the dollar as an acquisition
0: this year for the Niners. Yeah, he really has been. And I think you can look at even like Quan Alexander was not an inexpensive signing, but he's been very good. Uh, Fred Warner's been good, a second-year player. So I still think they have a need at corner. I wouldn't be surprised if they made a move for a receiver at the deadline, not like an A.J. Green, but just to get some depth at the receiver position. But for now, they look to be set Uh, Real quick before we go into our first break, uh, the Dolphins, the Bengals still have not won a game. The Redskins finally win one. The Jets win one. So we have two winless teams still, and that is the Bengals and the Dolphins. And as we say every week, the Dolphins are trying to do this. They wanted to lose. The Bengals, however, this is not an accident. We're going to fix the Bengals uh, in the next segment, so we'll hold off on talking about them. But the Dolphins... Josh Rosen looked very, very bad this past week. He got benched. I I know that we, a lot of us, liked Josh Rosen. I I, I didn't have him quite as highly as, as some other folks did. I, I think he was QB3 for me in that class, if I remember correctly. But it's so hard to get you an can. eval of him. But the, I, I did see um, a, a quote from a, a, I think it was a coach, and they were like, an opposing coach. It's like, even when... The offensive line does their job and like he gets the ball out it doesn't look good. It's like yes the offensive line is bad, but you have to evaluate Rosen. The way you evaluate him is by okay, when things are right in front of him, evaluate those throws even if you want to, which we've talked a lot about that's what we do at college, you know, you you can't evaluate every throw because so much of it's horizontal and not pro style. So you try to evaluate pro level throws. With Rosen right now, when you do that, it's still not looking good. So, a lot can change. We got about 10 weeks of football left. I think right now you have to think the Dolphins are going to stick with the plan to draft. Oh, they're a definitely going to
1: draft a quarterback. I mean, the fact that they
0: benched Josh Rosen
1: for Ryan Fitzpatrick means that they're not invested in this guy. Uh, they never gave him a fair chance anyway, considering they traded away their franchise tackle. Uh, it's laughable when you see the play call for two points. To win the, I mean, this team has no idea what it's doing. Let's just call it what it is. I don't care that they have no players. The coach has no idea what he's doing. I mean, if you're benching Josh Rosen, it tells you everything you need to know that you're not interested in having him at all. You know, they're going to get another chance next year, and I hope uh, Brian Flores makes good on it by having a real football roster. But whether he has one or not, this team looks completely lost. And, And on the positive side of things, Terry McLaren was the best player on the field in that game. He's my pick for offensive rookie of the year right now. If you want to talk some positives for that Washington team coming off yep. a tough week where they had to adjust to having a new coach in there, doing things a little different, working what they see appears to be a lot harder in practice right now. It's good for them to get a win, get some momentum, because that's a team that has drafted a lot of talented young players over the years. And you'd like to see them develop along the way. All
0: right, buddy, let's take a break. We come back. We have Jim Nagy, the executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl, talking about what he's seen on the road this year and also getting you all hyped for the upcoming Senior Bowl down in Mobile, Alabama. All right, we got our good friend Jim Nagy, executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl, on with us today. Nags, we miss you, buddy. I, I, the weather today in Missouri, it feels very mobile And it's like, ah, I can't wait. I've been looking at Airbnbs over the weekend. We are so ready to get back down there and start watching football Oh, with you.
2: man, we can't wait to have you down. It's, uh, it's coming fast. I made the mistake last year of buying these countdown clocks and putting them up all over town in bars and restaurants and, <laughs> Now every time I see one, it's like clicking down on me, and it's it's making me uh, give me a cold sweat. But it's coming past, but we're excited about it.
1: Jim, let's just get right to it and start with the good stuff that the people want. Who do you think the best player is you've seen in person this year?
2: Gosh, it's hard for me not to say Joe Burrow right now, just there we coming go. off uh, being, a, being at the Florida game this past weekend. But um, you know, I would say Javon Kinlaw is in that conversation. Raquan Davis at Alabama is in that conversation. So I've seen, seen a lot of good players. But, you know, just, just coming off that 21-24 of the other night against Florida, Joe Burrow, uh, uh, really impressive.
0: I didn't pay him to say that. I just want to point that out. You two that, are in this together. Jim's I'm not opinion, fooled. Dude. <laughs> right not just my, what do you think of his receiving core i mean i know jamar chase is way too young for us to begin talking about but guys like justin jefferson i mean th- i feel like they've also stepped up as well how much of that is because of joe brady how much of it's because like they finally have a competent quarterback in joe burrow
2: yeah i think it's a couple of things i think uh brady's doing a great job with that offense i think that uh, you got to give joe burrow a lot of credit he's made a significant jump uh, is a player. I thought, thought when I saw him over the summer, you know, he would be in like that third, fourth round range, kind of where, uh, you know, Jarrett Stidham fell last year and Ryan Finley. I thought, you know, he was a guy that you take a shot in the third or the fourth. Um, you feel good about him being your backup. And then, you know, if you eventually hit on a, a win with starter, you're happy with that. Um, you know, could maybe develop into that. And, and he's really, you know, he's really tightened up his accuracy. He's got a better arm than I gave him credit for. Um, so now he's, you know, he's probably in that, that conversation where teams are going to be looking at him to be their starter. Um, and, you know, I, I've said this before. I think that you can make it make the case that he's the most improved player in the country. You know, last year I thought that was Josh Allen at Kentucky. I think this year it's Joe Burrow. And, uh, you know, the reason I'm a big, a big believer in Joe is just spending time with him at the Manning Camp this summer. Um and, and just being around him and watching him around his peers and then watching him at the game the other night. Like he really, uh, you know, I posted something on Twitter about it, but I do think he, he's got that, whatever the it factor is. I think he's got it. Um, just watching how teammates respond to him and, and, uh, my interactions with him, he's, he's, he's definitely the type of kid you can tell grew up around football, you know, his dad's a coach and, um, just kind of got that guy's guys quality and, and total throwback guys, to position. So, um, yeah, big, big big, believer in Joe. We'd love to get him down here to Mobile. Yeah,
1: I don't blame you. And I think this is the first week coming off that kind of performance where everybody believes this LSU team is for real, and a lot of that is because of the quarterback. This seems like the first week everyone has him in the first round, no matter what. And it kind of reminds me a couple of years ago, Carson Wentz was that fringe first-round quarterback, and then after the Senior Bowl, it seemed like he was a top-five lock. Do you think it's safe to say that Joe Burrow looks like a first-round quarterback right now?
2: Yeah I, I do I definitely do and I think that uh, kind of like Carson I remember when I was working for the Seahawks uh, you know we really weren't in the quarterback game but we still interviewed every player so we had Carson up to our room um, all the scouts were up there and, and usually there's a bunch of players in the suite that we used to get and uh, Carson was up there by himself and he just he took over the room you know like you're just the the person he's such a such an awesome individual, and uh, I just—I have a feeling Joe will do the same thing down here. The more teams spend time around Joe Burrow, um, the higher his stock's going to go because teams are going to want this guy to be their quarterback.
0: Yeah, uh, Joe Burrow looks absolutely amazing, and and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Javon Kinlaw because I felt like there were name. He was a name over the summer, and then people kind of forgot about him. But that he has been unstoppable, and I think uh, a big game like South Carolina beating Georgia is going to put him a little bit more on the radar. But this is actually a really good uh, senior D line group, which is something we don't see very often with with Kinlaw, with Derek Brown, with Raquan Davis. Those guys going back to school. How good is that for you? How good is that for them in the NFL?
2: Well, we have to get all three of them to the game. That's yeah. that now the recruiting part is, is getting them down here and convincing them that they have something to gain. And and I think they do. I think with with all the interior defensive linemen, the biggest question is going to be: Do they have pass rush ability, and can they stay on the field all three downs? If they don't, well, then you you know there's there, there's a pretty big drop off where you're going to get drafted. So to me, you know, O line, D line, one on ones are definitely a drill designed for defense to win. Um, and for those guys to come down here and, and show the teams that they've got that pass rush ability to be big, you know, that's going to be my selling point to those guys. But with Fekha with Javon, I mean, he, he's really, he's another guy He's a case study in why you should come back for your senior year. Cause had he come out last year, you know, probably would have been a date later day two guy. I would, I would think based off off last year's tape. Um, but he's got some man child qualities to him. I mean, he's got stuff you can't coach and, he dropped a he dropped a significant amount of weight this off season. Um, you know he's really focused. He had a, he had a child in the off season, and that can usually make guys go one of two ways. One, it can kind of consume them and, and take their focus, or it can really you know tighten them down and really and really make them focused on football because they need to provide. And and that's what it's done for Javon. Talking to the guys in South Carolina about a month ago when I saw him play Bama. They said that he's he's a like a different guy when it comes to, you know, just all the preparation and being all in and, and working like he needs to work, and uh, so now you're seeing all those tools come out. I mean, he is really explosive. He can run. He's long. Uh, he's the sky's the limit. I mean, I think Javon Kinlaw just crashed. One the more
1: specific player I wanted to ask you about. I, I was lucky enough to get out for a Pac-12 game uh, when USC came to Washington and. I'm just so impressed with how this Washington program reloads in the secondary after losing corners and safeties in the first three rounds year after year. And one guy, because he's probably about 5'9", 180, but he always makes plays is Miles Bryant. Have you seen anything from this Washington secondary, not just regarding the senior bowl, but overall talent?
2: Uh, yeah, it's funny you bring them up. I'm actually watching their offensive. Well, they're watching their offensive tape as we speak this morning. And, and man, their offense—not to get you off track their offensive that line, too, is really impressive. <laughs> just, Jacob Zachary just sits back there, and, and you know, it's unbelievable how much time he's got. But but no, Miles Bryant's a really good player. We were watching him yesterday. Um, it's it's going to come down to size and speed. Uh, you know, he's he's a, he's one of those guys. He's a really good football player. But he's, he's under 5'8", okay. terrified. Um, so I know they lift him at 5'9", but he's actually in the 5'7". And, uh, you know, he's just not a very big person, and, he, and, he, and he's, you know, not overly fast. So um, I think those things are going to hurt where he gets drafted. But that's not to say he's not going to be a good player at the next level. It's kind of like, you know, last year Tyler Rapp ran four seven five, and And uh, you didn't see that on tape. You saw a guy that could really close and get to the football but that, that time speed kind of hurt Tyler and he ended up going in the second round. I think that, that the measurable stuff will affect miles, but he is a, he is a really good player. The guys in the office here, you know, asked me, what, how does he compare to Buddha Baker? And uh, you know, Buddha was similar. Buddha's is not the biggest guy either, but just a, he's a really good football player. So um, coach Peterson's done an awesome job recruiting up there and, and not just recruiting. They really, that's one of the best developmental programs in the country. They, they really bring guys in and develop them. So um, that secondary is fun to watch, and that offensive line up in Washington is uh, is fun to watch too.
0: You mentioned your staff, and I, I think that's one really cool thing that you do, especially for guys who are either like taking a year off the NFL or for younger guys who are looking to get into scouting, which we have a lot of in our listeners. Um, so the internships that you guys do or just the, the scouting assistance that you have, that's really – it feels to me, at least, like something that you changed when you came over um, when Phil Savage departed. How how important or how much of your vision for the game is that where you're almost becoming like a, a minor league for some of the scouting departments?
2: Well, you know, Phil, Phil did have some young guys in the office that uh, went on to, to get jobs in the league. So we're, we're really just trying to continue that in the office. Where we've done it a little differently is the guys on the road. And, uh, you know, hiring guys that are in between jobs, you know, really trying to, I, I got to do them a, a service to the, to the profession because you know, you lose your job in football. It's it's not because you're not good at what you do most of the time. It's because you just end up and you, you, your team has a bad year. So, you know, giving guys kind of a soft landing spot while they're out of football for a year, keep them active, keep them going to games on the weekend. You know, they're seeing GMs, they're seeing decision makers at games. Those guys know that, these guys are motivated to work. So, you know, all, all four guys that worked with us last year, three of them got jobs in the NFL. One got a job up in the CFL. He actually turned down an NFL job for a, for a CFL job. And, and now we've got six, we've got six on the road this year. And, and, uh, and then these in-house jobs, both our guys went on to, to the Raiders and the Falcons. And it's just, it's a a good way to give back to the profession. You know, it is this, the the profession's been great to me and uh, anything I can do to, to help guys that, you know, that I worked with on the road for years. And then, and then the next generation, you know, kind of paying it forward and training these guys and getting them ready. uh, It's, I feel like I need to do it.
1: So with it being your second year as the executive director or second full season here, was there anything you went back to last year and said, Hey, we're going to do this differently this year or any additions, what kind of changes have you made uh, during your evaluation process this year?
2: Yeah, I mean, we, we really did try to take a step back and kind of self-scout ourselves. And, and it started with last year's roster. Uh, you know, we had 93 guys drafted, and, and 91 ended up making 53-man rosters opening day. But there was some there was misses in there, too. We looked, you know, really, we well, you go back and look to the guys that didn't get drafted, well, why weren't they picked, and how can we do that better? The position group that really stuck out was wide receiver. Um you know, calling around the league. I, I called around to, you know, spend a couple months just randomly calling teams every couple days and asking why, why they thought guys didn't go. And we had eight receivers not get drafted last year, you know, and a lot of it was, you know, the feedback was Jim, it was just a bad, it was a bad wideout class, but uh, you know, what really came out of that was special teams. You know, guys were good receivers like David Sills from West Virginia, good receiver, but you know, Teams just didn't see a guy that could help him on special teams right away he needed another year in the weight room, so we're really taking that new account this year at the receiver position guys that have returnability legit legit returnability uh, and or special teams coverage stuff so just you know those those sort of things on the board and then and then uh, you know just procedurally and how we're how we're doing things on the scouting end just uh, you know. Just focusing in more on, uh, on our game and, and focusing in some more things on our report writing so we can be more streamlined in the office. But yeah, and hopefully we feel way, we, we, we feel way further ahead. So, you know, I took the job June of 18, didn't have a staff in place. So we went into last year's season with a, with a blank board. We had no, we hadn't seen any players really. And, uh, now going into the year, we'd seen all 475 players on our watch list. So now it's just we're going through the fall tweak, and we're not – it's just like an NFL team. We're not, you know, moving guys way up and down the board. You know, we're we're, we're just – you know, we're being able to move guys up and down a little bit based off their play this year, but uh, we're just just way further ahead.
0: You mentioned, you know, last year, um, even it being your first year, but last year was actually like a legendary senior bowl crop, and it's something you and I have talked about not on the show before, but just the amount of first-rounders was something – you know, I've been doing this job for nine years – I've never seen that much talent end up in the first round from the senior bowl. And there were guys, you know, like Titus Howard. I went down there and was like, "Ah, I don't have a round one on this guy. I think he might be a round two player. He works his way up. You know, it's – and, you know, I know it wasn't your class, but like Marcus Davenport the year before, but it felt like last year you had so many of those players who you were really – at least, you know, because of of the media side of things, you were really the first to have some of these players in round one. So – how, how hard is it to look at this year and say, man, we're going to have to get nine first-rounders or, or how many ever you all end up with last year on the field again this year?
2: Yeah, we, we had 10, and you always want to get better. So that's, <laughs> that's, the, you know, that's the point. But going into the week, um, it, it'd be hard. You know, I thought Daniel Jones was a first-rounder. Um, I thought Montez Sweat was a first-rounder. I thought Andre Dillard had a chance. And Garrett Bradbury, but there was like, you know, five or six of those guys that le- legitimately played their way into the first round, you know, LJ Collier, um, you know, you said Titus Power, Darnell Savage. I mean, those guys were guys that came down here as probably, you know, somewhere on day two, somebody, you know, I even think Titus could have gone on early day three. But uh came down here and, and and you know really kicked butt for a few days and, and proved to them and and i I just give them all the credit because they you know they were they were going to get taken on probably day two anyway. A lot of guys in previous years would have would have listened to an agent or listened to a family member and and sat out and just went to the combine. but you know those guys all came down here to compete and play football and that's uh like I told them that's what the NFL wants to see i mean i have I've been a part of teams that you know, like drafted guys off the combine and what, what guys were doing in shorts and uh, made a lot of mistakes that way. So I think the league has realized that, you know, that, Hey, let's get back to football and what these guys do in, in helmets and pads and not so much, you know, the other, the, the underwear Olympic part of it. So um, give it give credit to the players. And hopefully, you know, the hope is that this year's class saw that success, saw 40 guys in the first three rounds come down here and, and 10 first rounders where, Um, they saw some of these guys help themselves and they see the value in our game.
1: Jim, any small school, even FCS kind of guys already jumping out to you yet? Or is it too early for that?
2: No, no, that's a good question. You know, that's when I say we're ahead, that's where we're way ahead. So, you know, we identified a bunch of these guys over the summer and we were able to build those guys into our schedule for the fall and making sure we go see these guys live. Whereas last year guys were just popping up, you know, we're getting phone calls about Corey Ballantyne at, you know, um, you know, out in Kansas and going to see Corey, uh, you know, Corey play. And, we, and it really was tough from a scheduling standpoint, you know, to to in the middle of the fall kind of to break from your schedule and make sure you uh, get a guy into Washburn, you know. Yeah. So, um, right. yeah, so over the summer, you know, some of the small school guys, Kyle Duggar is always the name that comes up. I know he's been a hot guy kind of on social media lately, um, but, you know, he's 6'2", he's 222 pounds and ran four four one. So he's uh, at the D2 level he's he's an absolutely dominant player and uh, he sticks out i mean that's that's what you you know you try to get that across to some of these small school players and their families and their coaches is that you know if you're playing at that level that you really have to stand out you really have to be a dominant player and Kyle is that guy you know he's he's had a few games this year where he's had multiple touchdowns every time cuz he is a returner but even after interceptions You know, you watch it, he's like a man amongst boys. No one wants to tackle him. So, um, you know, the feedback from the NFL teams is that, you know, we've got to see him in Mobile because it's just hard to give a a proper evaluation based off, you know, where he's playing right now because he's just he's so much better than everyone. So he would be a guy. Adam Troutman, the the tight end at Dayton, we saw a couple weeks ago, live for the first time. And uh, he had four touchdowns in the first half, my scout. Well, our, scout, our scout was double dipping that day, Brian Adams. And he was like, well, I'm, you know, I've seen enough. At half the I he scored four touchdowns. He was rolling over to Ohio State to catch a night game. But uh, so Troutman is converted quarterback, really twitchy, crisp route runner, great hands. Uh, he had a one handed touchdown this week that was just incredible, uh, but makes a lot of contested plays. So really intriguing guy in the past game. So and, and James Robinson, the running back at Illinois State, is a big 220-pound dude that is really patient and runs hard and um, good after contact. So, yeah, that's, that's been a great part of having a staff in place for a year is, is identifying those small school guys early.
0: Jim, before we let you go uh, again, something uh, we, you know we have the pleasure of talking to you a lot when we're not on the podcast. And something that, that we have talked about is that Mobile is a great destination for football fans. It's something uh, again. I, I think this will be my tenth Senior Bowl this coming year, which just means I'm getting old. But you know, we we talk a lot about it on the show that like this is our favorite trip that we take because we get we get to all come together uh, with a lot of our listeners, a lot of our readers, but. All we do is sit in the stands in sixty degree weather and watch football. You don't have to have a press pass to sit in the stands and watch football. And then we go out and drink at night and eat really good seafood. How much is that part of, of where you guys want to take this game in terms of it's a very affordable, fun destination for people that love college football in the NFL draft?
2: No, I appreciate you asking that question because, you know, that was spending spending time in Nashville for the draft. It was an eye opener for me. You know, when you're working for a team in the NFL, you're worried about building a football team, and you're not worried about like you're not worried about what goes on in and around the draft. But to see all those people in Nashville was an eye opener because I I truly believe what we have here in Mobile is is such a great event in terms of if you're really a football person, if you love the draft and you love football, like you said, you can go to practice and sit in the stands, you know, or or go down by you know go by the field and and stand ten feet from these drills, or come over to the hotel and last year you could have taken a selfie with Gardner Minshew or Daniel Jones or one of these guys or Baker the year before or Terry McLaurin. I mean, all these guys are blowing up now. You you, you could have had access to those players. And then at night, like you said, you know, stumble into a bar and, and see, you know, John Schneider or, you know, Mike Brable or, or Matt Miller, or Connor Rogers, or, you know, like have a beer with, with guys that, uh, you know, football guys. So if I'm a fan, like that's a really, that's a really cool week. So what, what we need to do—that's why I appreciate you asking the question. We just need to get the word out to fans and what what this week is, and how awesome it is if you're really a football person. Um, you know, we're building things out. We're having, we we did a leadership conference last year um, on Thursday. We're going to have that again. Gary Vee is going to be our our keynote speaker at that Friday night wow. this year. Friday night this year, we're doing a, a street party and parade with the players. They're going to they're going to throw autographed footballs to the kids, and we're going to have you know, bands. And then we're, we're, we got a, we got a pretty cool musical act lined up for a concert downtown here, free concert. So downtown's going to be packed. So we're just trying to create, you know, similar to what Nashville did with, with a lot of, with a lot of adult beverages and live music, um, trying to make this more of a party atmosphere because the football part has always been here. Now we're just trying to build in that party atmosphere to give people, uh, you know, three good days to come down here and blow it out, uh, blow it out around the game.
1: Well, I can't wait. It's going to be awesome. I mean, we're more excited than ever for this year, and I know it's going to be a good time. And as always, Jim, we appreciate your time. So thanks so much for coming on. I know we'll talk to you very, very soon because we'll be nagging you about more players in about two to three weeks. (laughs) So thanks a lot, man. We appreciate it.
2: No, no, I I appreciate you guys. And first invites will go out that first week in November, so maybe we can circle the wagons then.
0: That's perfect then. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, buddy. All right, guys, thanks. All right, y'all, it is time to fix the Cincinnati Bengals, and holy God, do they need our help. So, hope you're listening, uh, Bill Tobin and everyone else, because we are going to try to hook you up and fix this team that is 0-6 right now. They own the projected number two overall pick in the NFL draft. The, The Dolphins right now projected to have the number one. They have all their own original picks, no trades that we have to mention, at least as of yet. It's a team that is projected to have 46 million dollars in cap space but guys like AJ Green, Trey Hopkins, S. Denard, Andrew Billings, John Jerry, Andre Smith they got some free agents coming down the pike of course next year they get first rounder Jonah Williams back who's out this year with a knee injury. to Connor man there's a lot to try to figure out and I want to try to be realistic I'm not just gonna say like oh well Signed Cam Newton and Jadevian Clowney because they're probably not going to want to go to Cincinnati.
1: Yeah, and those things just don't really happen on this level. And I think Cincinnati is not a team that's necessarily looking to make all their splashes through free agency with Duke Tobin there. I think you, like you said, Matt, losing Jonah Williams uh, before training camp even began was just absolutely devastating for this team as the Zach Taylor era begins. But let's start with just the draft sphere of where this team currently stands. Like you said, they're projected to pick number two overall. I believe Tankathon, because the strength of schedule, does have them at number one. Do we think this is a team that can possibly finish worse than the Dolphins? Yes. I mean, anything possible,
0: right? You want to if you're a Bengals fan. I want to right. make that clear. Yeah, no, you absolutely want to. But God, like I. I guess anything is possible, but the Dolphins are, I mean, are so low right now, like points scored. They're off on points allowed. I think the Bengals at least have some talent, especially once A.J. Green gets back. Andy Dalton's a hell of a lot better than anyone the the Dolphins are going to put out at quarterback. So I feel like the Bengals will accidentally lose a game or two along the way, which really does. I mean, it's going to affect everything because where I would start with the draft is to draft Tua. But if they don't have the number one pick, that's not happening. And then we get into a, a conversation of, okay, do we look at a Joe Burrow here at number two overall? I'm Joe Burrow's biggest fan whose last name isn't Burrow. And I think that might be a little bit too high in a draft class that also features Chase Young and Jerry Judy. With A.J. Green being a free agent who I think it's unlikely for him to return at this point or at least not expected. I think you have to consider Jerry Judy, even though you don't have your quarterback yet. And then you have to look at Chase Young, even with there being a lot of good pass rushers in free agency, whether that's Shaq Barrett, whether that's Jadevian Clowney, whether that's Whitney Merciless. I think you have to look at Chase Young there if you're drafting number two overall. So when I when I start this, it's like, okay, as a mock draft, Tua would be my pick. If he's not available, it would be Chase Young. And vice versa. You know, I mean, if, if two is there, that's the guy, obviously. Yeah, I think so. Too. I think
1: when you look at this, number one, these teams play week 16. That might be the Tua bowl the Dolphins versus the Bengals. The so it when it comes down to it, that game is going to be very key when evaluating how this team restructures. Like you said, Tua is the ideal situation as a pick. I think if you're picking second, you, I'm with you, Matt. I, I don't see how you pass on Chase Young. If you're the Bengals – In this new era with a young coach, you need talent right now, a premium talent on the edge, a game changing pass rusher that we believe has the ceiling to be that Miles Garrett, Khalil Mack kind of player. I don't see how you could pass on that. And we are going to get to a full, well, a four round mock draft at the end of this. But I think that's where this conversation starts. And let's talk about their free agents, because they do really have a key one here. in AJ Green, that his name has been tied to all kinds of rumors. He has not been healthy these last two seasons here. I don't think he brings back a first round pick anymore, although I know a lot of people disagree. I think he brings back a day 2 pick. Now, I will say this for a Bengals team that the season is over and you should be trying to tank if he comes back healthy and you can move him for a day two pick considering he's a pending free agent you have to do it you have to move him so that's where the selling starts for me out of this pending free agency crop
0: they have no, I agree with you. I, I think you have to try to sell Tua. Or excuse, Tua, my goodness. I'm <laughs> reading my own notes here. I think you absolutely have to try to sell AJ Green, whether that's to the 49ers, the Eagles, the Patriots. You really should not care as the Bengals. This isn't a time to be picky and say we're not trading you to the AFC. I, I would even trade him to the AFC North because you're just trying to start over at this point. So when I that's what I look at this is like, man. You have very few assets. You have to try to get something out of the ones that you do have, especially because of his impending free agency. So I would flip him. I agree. He's not bringing back a first-round pick on an expiring contract, maybe a round three pick on that expiring contract with a day three uh, type pick kicked in there to add some value. So that is where I would start. And, Connor, when you look at the guys that they need to re-sign, I think we both actually agree here. I think you have to try yep. to keep Trey Hopkins or you're going to the market to sign someone in the middle. I mean, Billy Price, um, you know, missed his rookie year, so we're still watching him develop. But the, this offensive line is absolutely terrible. So finding, okay, there's a couple good pieces here. We got to try to keep those.
1: It's awful. And we're going to talk about that offensive line as we get closer to the mock draft at the end of this. But for free agency's sake, listen, if they lose Hopkins, you should go out and pay someone like J.C. Treader from the Browns within your division that has played at a high level this year. I think you know this is an infrastructure that is going to have a young quarterback in place very soon. You can't have this current offensive line in front of that player, especially in this system. Now, they were very proactive in the draft to get two very good blockers, one being a left tackle in Jonah Williams, who's going to be back, the other being a blocking tight end Drew Sample, who I – Matt, you said it. They drafted him much earlier than anyone expected. But if Drew Sample could do anything, it is definitely block. But you you got to tie up the interior after getting those guys, and those guys need to be healthy. So I think that's where you got to either re-sign Hopkins, go out and get a center. The best one on the external market will be Treader. Looking at you know Andrew Billings, I'd bring him back. I think you would agree, right?
0: Yeah, I, I loved Andrew Billings. I was surprised he fell as far as he did Me in the too. draft. So I think he is the type of guy you want to try to keep on this roster. because it's not a complete teardown. So I look at him and say, yeah, that is someone I would like to keep building around. But then I would go on and free and see with that forty six million, I would try to get a Whitney Merciless or a Shaq Barrett. You're you're probably not getting Jadavian Clowney. I, I don't I still don't think Chris Jones gets away from the Chiefs. So I think you're in this secondary market where Being realistic, we've seen this with the Browns. I think the Bengals do this point, too. You're going to have to overpay a little bit for free agents. They can do that, and they can do it aggressively by getting to the secondary market instead of going after the top-tier guys. So that would be my moves. I would keep Billings. I would keep Hopkins. uh, And then I would look at Merciless or Shaq Barrett as the free agents I'm going to sign. I actually am okay with the secondary that the Bengals have. It's a little bit young, but I like William Jackson. I like Drake, Kirkpatrick, and in the draft, I think you can look to bolster your cornerback three or cornerback four position.
1: Yeah, and two free agency ideas I had is you kind of sticking with the outside linebacker, although he's not as much of a pass rusher. Maybe you can get Kyle Van Noy from New England. I know free agents from New England don't perform as well once they leave New England, but Van Van Noy has really resurrected his career since arriving in New England. Oh, my God. He he could do a lot of different things in this Cincinnati front, and I don't think he'll cost you top dollar. One more who has been one of the best pass-catching tight ends in football this year would be Austin Hooper. So Tyler Eifert just can never stay healthy. I think it also goes back to Carl Lawson. As talented as he is, is another guy that struggles to stay on the field consistently. So maybe... Get somebody for your front seven, as you alluded to, Matt. Get a pass catcher for the future young quarterback and a guy like Cooper. Let's talk about the NFL draft for this team, because that's where the bulk of the rebuild is going to be done in Cincinnati.
0: Yeah, it is. It, this is a team that is wisely building through the draft. And I think that's the plan when you bring even a young guy like a Zach Taylor, as head coach, you want to go through the draft. My first four picks, I know I said it earlier, it's either Tua or Chase Young. Yep. That's the first pick for them. Uh, again, if they have the first overall pick, it's Tua. If they don't, it's Chase Young. Uh, and then it, it's a trickle effect. In round two, let's assume you get your quarterback, whether it's Tua or Joe Burrow. Let's assume quarterback's going to be a priority. In some way, it's not going to be Andy Dalton. In round two, I would go back to that interior defensive line and go after a guy. And I had him on my notes before we talked to Jim Maggie, Javon Kinlaw, who absolutely has wrecked people this year getting after the quarterback. He and Andrew Billings working side by side. I think that's a great foundation in a 4 3 defense. Uh, Kinlaw is, I mean, he has power, he has quickness. Geno Atkins is getting older. So I, that's where I look. Like man, we could really improve the middle of this defensive line by going after a guy like Kenlaw, who I think is a plug and play starter. Round three, you're not going to replace AJ Green with a third round pick, but that's okay because you have Tyler Boyd, who I really like. You have we're finally seeing some flashes from John Ross. Um, so there's there are some guys here to like. But I would go after receiver. This is where Tylen Wallace fits in for me. I've seen some round one talk. For me, he's round three. You know, he's not the fastest guy. He's a little bit skinny, but I do like his route running. I like his contested catch ability a lot, actually. With contested catches, you just worry about speed and separation. But I think Tylen Wallace in round three could be a starting level wide receiver at the next level. And then someone you mentioned earlier, again, I swear to God, I did this before the show started. <laughs> I don't know where Trey Smith is guy, Excuse me. You said Trey Adams. Yep. I have Trey Smith. My goodness. I don't know where Trey Smith will slot in. Playing guard at Tennessee. He was a guy who's a five-star tackle basically back in high school. But I like Trey Smith What I've seen at yeah. guard this year at Tennessee. I think someone with a lot of potential. So I have a round four grade on him right now. Um, sorry, spoiler alert. Not Trey Adams. Trey Smith. But listen,
1: Trey Smith, it's all about health. I mean, the fact that you can get him on the field. He's a great player when he's on the field. So... That's a sneaky, sneaky good ad for the interior, Matt. I really like that pick. I'm going to start mine off with basically what you said with Tua or Chase Young. That's how this thing dictates, whether they're picking number one or number two. Another low-key thing in all of this is if you get Tua and you're fully committing to him playing right away, You can cut Andy Dalton and save $17 million. And that goes back to the free agency pool we talked about (laughs) (laughs) to go get a Shaq Barrett, to go get a Whitney Merciless, to go get an Austin Hooper, to add to your offensive line. So uh, you're talking about $46 million or you're talking about upwards of over $60 million. The Bengals can have some money to work with to really rebuild this team the right way the coaching staff and front office wants to. Back to the mock draft. Two or Chase Young, number one or number two overall. Round two, this is the top of round two. Trey Adams, you heard Jim Nagy talk about him. When I saw Trey Adams against USC, I thought he might have been the best player on the field that day. He's a powerhouse tackle. He would be a top 10 pick, but he struggled with injuries and surgeries throughout his career. Now, I know if you're a Bengals fan, a Washington player with surgeries scares you a little bit after going through the John <laughs> Ross experience. But I think Trey Adams is healthy. And I think in round two, if you have a potential franchise tackle on the board, you take that risk. Man, him and Jonah Williams, Jonah on the left, Trey on the right, you build up this interior. Joe Mixon in the backfield. Zach Taylor knows how to scheme up the run. This can be a punch you in the face kind of team down the line. Round three, Donovan Peoples Jones. Matt, me and you always think the same when we do mock drafts, and we don't do them together. You went for the trenches in round two. You went for the trenches. For, uh, you went for the quarterback in round one. I did the same thing. Round three wide receiver. Donovan Peoples-Jones has not had the chance to showcase his talent in Michigan because of the offense, because of the quarterback. He has number one wide receiver potential. He hasn't been able to show it in college. I think he could be a steal in round three if he does fall that far. Round four, what you said going back to the secondary, maybe you look for a day three, a day two piece to add here. I love Darnay Holmes out of UCLA. That program's been a terror. They haven't done him any favors. He's a great, great student of the game, a great athlete, a good player. Once again, one of those guys flying under the radar that can really bring you a lot of value to a secondary, and you don't have to spend a premium
0: pick on him. Yep, that is how we fix the Cincinnati Bengals. I want to know how you guys would fix yeah. this team, especially if you're a fan of this ball club. Tweet us, at Stick to Football. This could be your iTunes review, your spot, wherever you leave your reviews review, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever it might be. Let us know how we did and let us know what team you want to see next week when we start fixing these ball clubs area. Let's get into some draft on draft questions, buddy. I know this one is near dear to your heart. Maybe asked, how does Lynn Bowden's move to quarterback get viewed by NFL teams and scouts? I always say the more you can do the better. And so I think that's where we're at with this is, okay, this is a good thing. He's showing his the fact that he's a team player. He's showing his athleticism, his versatility. This is a good thing for Lynn Bowden. It's a good thing for his draft stock. And really, it's probably the only thing right now keeping Kentucky somewhat competitive. I mean, man, they were down They were down to the wire here and had to convert their best
1: offensive player to quarterback. Now, I believe Bowden played quarterback in high school. So that's why you could see he can actually throw the ball a little bit, as you saw on their weekends, uh, their win this weekend. I agree with you, Matt. I said to somebody on Twitter that asked me, actually, this this question has come in quite a few times. That's why we put it in the rundown here. You like this if you're a scout because it's kind of a selfless move when he's completely taking away from his great receiving numbers he's had this year and saying, yeah, right. I'll play quarterback because it's the only way we can win ball games right now. He's running the ball a ton, which means he's taking more hits on his body. Bowden is a selfless player. And
0: I think this is a very, very impressive move. And he did well. He played really yeah. good. He really did play well, especially early. I mean, until they adapted a little bit, he was he was moving the ball pretty yeah. well uh, as a passer. So I think it's good for Lynn Bowden, who I'm not sure yet where I have him. I mean, I have a, a preliminary grade on him, but he, he's an exciting player for sure. Um, just a, as an all around athlete, he'll end up a patriot, which is course, basically what this to means. ruin my life. Uh, our guy is back, dude. Anthony Mangaluzzo is back. Can you guys rank the XFL quarterbacks for us now that they are on teams? I can't believe I'm about to say this as a Texas fan. I don't know what's happening to me. Reuniting Landry Jones and Bob Stoops is something I'm totally, absolutely here for. I think Landry Jones is the best quarterback in the XFL.
1: Man, ah, it's tough. I don't agree, but I do think that offense will be clicking on all cylinders. I'm excited to watch Cardell Jones just for the chaos. Although I don't think he'll be the best quarterback. I thought Luis Perez played well in the AAF. He did. He did look good. So that's one that I'm kind of. I know Philip Walker has had some good games in preseason with the Colts at times. Matt McGloin has had some good real life NFL games. And maybe I'm just being a New York homer already for the Guardians. It's actually. I'll say this, Matt. It's a more exciting group than I expected. I think you look at the list, and you maybe wish because we're nerds, I knew the names. And I'm like, these guys can at least play the position and run an offense. And I think Tyree Jackson will be in that mix eventually, too. He's still more of a developmental guy, but we know what kind of talent
0: he has. So the XFL, I'm a sucker. I'll be watching. I really will. Oh, I will be watching. Yeah, and I was actually going to say that uh, for me, the second one would have been Louis Perez, just because I thought he looked really good as an AAF quarterback. And I think that's a good thing that we're seeing here is that we actually are getting several AAF quarterbacks in the XFL. Which, if so, if you like, you know, started to follow a guy there and he didn't get called up to the NFL, well, now you got a chance. Like you got a chance to continue watching this guy play. So I think they've done a good job of that. Of oh, okay, well. If you follow Perez, now you still can. Uh, I want Cardell Jones to succeed so badly because those three games, when he was at Ohio State to end the year, is three of the most exciting football games I've ever seen of just like, oh, th- we're on the third string quarterback now, but it's okay. We're still going to win a national championship. So I'm I'm all about getting Cardell out there, slinging the ball around. Just let him th- just run four verts every single play.
1: All game. And let him throw the ball down the field. It'll be a good time. So the XFL... Uh, listen, we're in, you know, stick to footballs. And we were in on the AAF uh, for its very, very long lifespan. And we'll be the same for exactly. the XFL. All right. This one from Kiefer. Congratulations to Kiefer because he got married this weekend. Sorry, we couldn't be there, buddy. Sometimes you got to work. You are stranded on a deserted island. Which four NFL head coaches would you want with you to help you survive? He says, sorry, guys, you can't bring Kyle Shanahan or Bill Belichick.
0: Well, that would have been my Bill Belichick would have been my first. Of pick course. Because I think he can figure out everything. Um So I would actually, I would want Anthony Lynn. I don't know. We don't talk about him a lot because the Chargers aren't very good. I have so much confidence in Anthony Lynn being able to do basically anything. He's in shape. He's intelligent. Like, listen, I love Andy Reid. I'm not going to a deserted island with Andy Reid. No, it's not going to happen. I mean, there's no ingredients to cook whatever he wants. So that's I'm not taking Cliff Kingsbury because if someone came to save us, he's too good looking. They would take him pretty. You never take the pretty guy never ever take the prettiest guy so uh, Sean McVay Anthony Lynn those are definitely two Ooh. I wish Gus Bradley were still a head coach because I would definitely take him yeah that would be a really good one oh man uh Adam
1: Gase is too crazy yeah no, he, he, would you, Ooh, he would drive you Sean McDermott would drive you nuts. Sean McDermott's a, the perfect pick I think yeah I think Sean McDermott we need one more here well now we could use him because he is a coach again Bill Callahan is a psycho but he's he's a deserted island kind of wingman
0: psycho, right? I think I'm going to take Frank Reich. He already has the beard. That's a good pick. I wonder what. And he's overcome so much adversity. Like Josh McDaniels doesn't want the job here. You can have it. Oh, your star quarterback retires. You still beat the Chiefs. Would you bring Gr- like,
1: Gruden for the motivation? Fuck no. Yeah, I would,
0: I would him. strangle him within 30 minutes of being there. <laughs> he's just too over the top. Yeah, he would get annoying. He would
1: definitely get annoying. I I love him, but he he would get over the top. Oh, that was a good question from Kiefer. I really like that one. I'm actually curious because I feel like our listeners are usually like brainiacs with the explanations of who they would who they would use. I know to, that's a stick to football throwback. Remember the gauntlet? Oh, I missed that. Yeah, when we get the prospects back on. We'll bring back the gauntlet. gauntlet will come yeah, back. Yeah, the revised gauntlet. Sure. It'll be like version three or four of the gauntlet. All right, final question of the week from our buddy Tyler Warden. He is a Dolphins fan, so be nice to him. As a Dolphins fan who is fully on board with the Tank for Tua train, that is a hashtag Tank for Tua, what are some negatives about his game that I should be concerned about? Well, at NFL
0: Draft Scout, what are some negatives yeah. about Tua's game? I think the first one is going to be the talent he has around him. Like that's that's what you're gonna automatically worry about. And that there are there are many times where, yeah, his touch and anticipation are his best traits, but there are absolutely times where he's throwing to guys who are already NFL receivers and they're playing defenses that just aren't to that level, basically. So I think the talent around him is a question. He has been banged up, especially last year. I don't feel like his arm strength is elite. It's good, but it's not great, which is why. I've said he's more Drew Brees with that soft touch, not so much, you know, this home run hitter, this Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen, huge arm. So I, I think that that's a fair question. He's not the tallest guy either. I know, I know, Nagy they measured him at Alabama Pro Day. He's over six foot, but under six foot one. And we've, I think we've seen this year with Baker Mayfield. Watch the Niners game. He had trouble seeing over the line. And so with Tua, you're gonna have that worry. But I do not believe. Being left-handed should in any way be looked at as a negative. Yep. It's just such outdated, narrow-minded thinking. For me, when people tweet me and say, well, do you have to make the left tackle the right tackle? No. Von Miller and Khalil Mack rush off the right side of the line. Your right tackle better be pretty good already. So I, I just don't, I don't understand that line of thinking.
1: Yeah, I don't either. I think Tua, I'll tell you why the negatives will come out. When he measures... Because he's not an overly well, an overwhelmingly big guy, and that's not just height. He's, uh, do you think he's going to be under six Matt? Yeah, I think he'll he'd be like six oh oh three. Very Bakerish, but I don't think he's as thick as Baker was. But he can gain the weight. I, I personally have no, don't have those concerns. I think the size will be fine. I think he moves very well, like you said, touch thrower. It, it's just going to be he has to stay healthy because we've seen him get banged up in the past behind a good offensive line. And in the NFL, wherever you go when you're number one or number two pick, you're going to be playing behind a bad one. That's just how it goes. So for the Dolphins' sake, they have enough picks where maybe they can take an offensive lineman or two while also getting Tua. So that's something that you should be confident in. But I just think he's smart. I think he has a good mindset. I think he has all the talent. I don't know. We're not going to grade Tua out as this 9-0 Kind of player. That's not what no, we're saying no, no, here. No. But in the terms of safer quarterbacks, I am actually a believer that he's a relatively safe quarterback.
0: Yeah, I agree. I I think he is a relatively safe quarterback without a super high ceiling. But he's so smart and his accuracy is so good. But it, it goes back to okay, well, what do we have over that? What are the elite traits? If your elite traits are football intelligence and touch that's great, but it can be a little bit scary, I think, at times. So I I'm still two still my top quarterback. I'm all in on it, but I, I don't like you said, he's not gonna grade out as any any kind of perfect uh prospect for me. All right. That is our show. Connor Mello and myself will be back Friday morning getting you ready for the weekend of college football and Thank God we're actually all home. And
1: one more reminder, too, get your Alabama plans in. We're going to be on the quad there for the biggest
0: college football game of the year. For Connor, this is Matt. We'll talk to you guys real soon.